episode 271 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I am not Mike Solosi, but I am Alana Hagues, and I will be your host for the next two weeks as we talk about one of my weird special favorites from my teenage years, Barton Kaito's Eternal Wings and the Lost Ocean, a 2003 cult classic released on the GameCube, the GameCube only, and probably one of the most expensive games in the world. So how on earth we've managed to pull a panel together to play it is the luckiest thing in the world. Um, if you're a regular listener to the show, then you'll probably know that we held a poll after episode 250 to determine what the first game we'd be playing was in 2021. And amazingly, this be out Paper Mario, Dragon Quest 3, E7, and 3D Dog Game Heroes. So the Barton Kytos fans live somewhere on the internet, wherever you are. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I never get to talk about this game and I try and shoehorn it in whenever I can. So I'm really glad I get a little bit of a platform to pop off and have a little bit of fun. But um, I'm not here on my own, obviously. I have two wonderful panelists with me, uh, starting with Tyler Trosper. Hey, everybody. And joining me as well as Pete Leavitt. Hey, Ilana. Hey, Tyler. Happy New Year, folks. Yeah, Happy New Year. I think it's the first time I've spoken to you both um, this year properly. So, yeah. Going to kick the year off right. Um, but yeah, um, we're going to jump right into Barton Kytos, which is... Oh, there's a hell of a game. We're just going to be talking about Disc 1 today. But even so, there is so much to kind of cram in because this is a mechanically dense, really unusual game for this studio. And... It came out at a really weird time because, and it came out on a really weird console, to be honest, because the GameCube's not really known for its RPG library, I would say. And I mean, it's the console I kind of grew up with and got into the genre properly. Like I'd played PlayStation 1 games, but like, it's weird to tell people that my like oeuvre started with Tales of Symphonia, Skies of Arcadia Legends and Baton Kytos and Paper Mario. Like it just feels like a weird set of games, but they all do so many things so differently. Um, and really, Tyler, I'm going to come to you first because I know oh you've played this. <laughs> you've played this as well, haven't you? Yes. Um, I played it when it originally came out, uh, which oh, that's 17 years ago now. <laughs> Jeez, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I hate to admit it, but the reason I kind of got into this was because of Monolith's previous game, Xenosabsa 1, came out that same year. And I was like, oh, this is probably, I'm just, it was another gateway into loving Monolith Soft. I, I, I really love this game. <laughs> it's really unusual. Yeah, see, I didn't know anything about Monolith Soft at the time because obviously, um, um, for those who, if you've never heard of Monolith Soft listeners, then I might be a little bit surprised and raise an eyebrow at you because, um, Monolith Soft are probably one of Nintendo's core pillars now of their, like, development studio they worked on. Aside from the Xenoblade games, which you may have heard of, um, they've also worked on Breath of the Wild. They worked on, I think they did something on Smash Brawl as well, and they've definitely mm -hmm. done a couple of other games on the Switch. So yeah, they are a big force over at Nintendo mm -hmm. and, for those who are unaware, Monolith Soft was formed in October 1999 after Tetsuya Takahashi of Square grew frustrated with the company um, and decided to leave and form this new studio with a couple of other people from uh, Square Enix um, or Squaresoft as they were known at the time, including Hone, um, who was one of the map designers for 
Xenogears and the Chrono Games. Um, and Hone is the director of Baton Kaitos. Um, not necessarily as well known as um, a couple of the other heads at Monolith Soft, but certainly influential. And I know he's given multiple interviews over the years and he's always come back to Baton Kaitos as being one of his favorite projects. So I think that's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, Pete, uh, I'm going to pick on you probably a little bit throughout the episode, but I know this is your first time playing the game. Is that right? Yeah, I'm happy to say it is. Yeah, first time. <laughs> um, what are your like early impressions so far? Because obviously this is a really hard sell for some people. The minute you kind of pull out this is a card-based RPG, people kind of get a little bit scared away. But yeah, um, what do you think so far, basically? Yeah, I mean, that would be a good reason for me to be scared away. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, the only reason I care, because I, um, I actually, this is a copy that I managed to find, um, uh, maybe a couple years ago at this point, year and a half, two years ago, and, and just kind of had in my little stack of GameCube games. And, um, I only ever was interested in it at all, pro- you know, like how most people get interested in stuff. I saw like a Metal Jesus Rocks video on it or something like that. I don't know. And um, so uh, it's just, I just thought it looked really nice. And um, my early impressions of it are that it is staggeringly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know why people don't talk about this soundtrack more. Oh, Oh, yes. It's so good. it's really beautiful and really it both kind of communicates the feel in the more conventional um kind of pseudo ambient orchestral sense but also there's strong melodies and motifs throughout it's just such a nice soundtrack it's very strong in my opinion i think it holds up to anything on the playstation playstation 2 or or, or what have you um and the battle system, uh, which I, we're going to talk about in a little bit, mm-hmm. is really weird. That's where the cards kind of come in primarily. Um, but it does kind of make a certain sort of sense. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm able to get through it. I feel like there's a layer deeper than the level on which I'm engaging with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of stumbled across some of those elements that seem that I don't quite understand, but mm-hmm. I could. Uh, but even so, I'm able to get through it, and it ends up feeling a lot like an RPG battle system. And the differences and the kind of implications of it being a deck-based and card-based thing um, set it apart just enough to where it's pretty interesting, and I find it pretty fun and and not intimidating. I would I would tell that I would tell people that if they were intimidated by this prospect of playing a card-based uh, battle system in a JRPG that in this case it, it really isn't that intimidating and um, you'll be able to get through and uh, feel like you're in control most of the time yeah you make a really good point because actually um, like it, it eases you into the deck system because I think you only start off with 20 or 25 slots don't you and then as you gradually get more characters and get more upgrades you get slightly bigger decks and you get more cards and mm-hmm. you kind of just pick up on things quite naturally and like you suggested Pete like when I played this for the first time, like I wasn't overwhelmed, but I certainly didn't feel like I was getting the full depth out of it. Like I didn't fully understand everything. And it's only taken like years of replaying and reading guides and testing out things to really get it. But once you do really get it, um, 
it clicks in really nicely. Um, Origins uses a slightly different um, card battle system. Um, mm-hmm. That's the prequel that comes out and came out in 26, 2006, sorry. Um, and that is a lot, I, I don't want to say easier, um, but it's certainly even more manageable. Like they took some lessons from this one. Um, but yeah, um, we're not going to go quite into the battle system just yet. It's probably worth just jumping in. Um, essentially, we'll just go through the island nations because I think the plot is fairly standard for the first half of the game. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of like a Final Fantasy, go get all the crystals kind of thing. Um, but you start off in the village of uh, Sevelry, which is a farming village, and main protagonist Callus wakes up <laughs> with amnesia. So it's one of those very typical openings, and he's very abrasive. Um, Callus doesn't make a great first impression, and I kind of like that. I find Callus extremely interesting as a character, I think. There's kind of mm-hmm. like a little group of, like, heroes, or I say heroes, but you put quotation marks around that around the mid 2000s that had this like kind of standoffish abrasive attitude if you think of yuri from shadow hearts or luke mm-hmm. for the first portion of tales of the abyss you've got like the bratty child um kind of <laughs> just, i don't want to say syndrome but like definitely definitely a little bit arrogant but mm-hmm. yeah the beginning of this game is really interesting um one thing i didn't say there's a couple of really interesting names attached to um ban kaitos um matoi sakuraba is the composer and as pete has said like it's a really great soundtrack and i would agree um i was on record on rhythm encounter a few weeks ago of saying that this is probably my favorite matoi sakuraba soundtrack oh it's definitely probably, one of his yeah. best yeah oh absolutely it's also a top five soundtrack for me like i adore it and I think probably save some bits more for episode two and there's certainly some shared motifs between the prequel and the sequel well between this and the prequel so because they reuse a couple of songs as well but yeah um another name that's worth attaching to this is uh masato kato who is yeah. the mm. sole scenario writer and there are certainly some bits that you can tell isn't yes <laughs> definitely like when i played this game like I remember when I first played it, it was like, oh, I want this to be, uh, I, like, I was thinking of Xenosaga, but in comparison to, like, Kato's other work, it definitely feels like a Chrono game and, and not a Xeno game. Like, it definitely, the beginning reminded me of the beginning of Chrono Cross and Arnie Village, so just the yeah. look of it and just how it starts. It does look a bit like Chrono Cross, right? Like, mm-hmm definitely does like, i don't know i mean i don't want to say like blue-haired prota- protagonists all look the same but <laughs> like but there's especially in several rides like it's rural there's kind of a i don't know the, the these are floating islands in the sky but you know there's an island in Chrono Cross. I don't know. It seems to share. <laughs> there's. It seems to be on some of the wavelengths of of Cross. Yeah, Kato kind of has. Yeah, Kato kind of has like these recurring uh, like motifs, like floating, floating like cities and islands, and starting off in like home, rustic home villages, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and oceans prominently feature in both games, whether they're absent or not absent. So you know. So yeah, the ocean does come into Baton Kaitos. It's not just in the title um, for no reason. And I haven't gone into the history of the world yet because it's kind of drip-feeded throughout the game and it will mm-hmm. probably spoil things if I give it now. But um, actually, interestingly, rewinding a little bit, um, don't if you're playing this for the first time, don't watch the intro cutscene 
there are some huge spoilers in that intro cutscene um, that might give away <laughs> some things. So, yeah. just Also, you'll have to abide the voice acting if you do that. Well, oh, actually, gosh. you say that. The voice acting in the intro is actually okay. It's in-game it isn't. And it might is this a good point it's probably a good time to bring this up actually um so you're it's a weird this game's a little bit weird in that you are not the protagonist kind of thing you control the protagonist but you are right at the beginning you are told to give your name and you are a spirit a gendered male or female spirit and you accompany the protagonist callus throughout the game and that's very interesting because you get a lot of dialogue options throughout and um they can affect certain things which we'll get into in the combat side of things but um the voice acting the reason i'm linking the two together is is it sounds like and a common criticism of this game it sounds like the characters are talking into tin cans all the time <laughs> yes <laughs> and I... oh sorry no no i was just like i i don't understand it's just it's like when i originally played this i I think I got to Diadem, and then I just turned off the voice acting. Yeah. Because I just couldn't handle it anymore. I, I'm I'm pushing through, but it's just so weird. Mm, it's... It took, it took me about 45 minutes to turn it off, and there's some, like, there's some moments of gravity in the first 45 minutes. And, frankly, and, you know, bad voice acting, old video game you know it's a, it's a, a story as old as time basically but there were some moments of gravitas that just completely evaporated in the voice acting for me yeah there's something in disc two that i'm sure if you have the voice acting on is it, it, it's i don't want to say it's laughable but it, it definitely takes the the weight out of it yeah and you mentioned that you, the player, uh, it does like the the um, Panzer Dragoon Saga thing where it's like, hey, what's your name, player of the game? Mm-hmm. You're like an otherworldly thing. And that's a cool choice. I actually kind of like that choice a lot, um, especially later on. It'll, it'll have uh, ramifications. And so the uh, the it gives them a vehicle with which they can just turn outward from the TV and just talk to you, which I, which is always fun. And, um, you can potentially be, um, you can have a difference of opinion with the characters, even the protagonist and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but since you choose your name, when they speak on the text, your name will pop up (laughs) and the audio on the voice track will just blank out. Yeah. Just like they mute, they pushed mute on it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. It's so weird. Yeah, it's really weird because especially now because when you get like void, like name choices in games like that, it normally replaces your name with they, doesn't it? Or them or something like that. Whereas, yeah, it is very unusual. Um, But yeah, I think it's a mix of like poor i think it's more poor voice direction and poor recording than anything else mm-hmm. like certainly yeah i i because yep. i don't think any of the voice actors in this game are too notable outside of this game i don't think they've done too much more i'm happy to say the prequel has very good voice acting yes the prequel voice good. acting so much better it's yeah uh, 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 the one good thing about the voice acting in this one though is that you do uh, get to experience the most hilarious way possible 
to listen to the absolutely ridiculous proper nouns in this game. <laughs> <laughs> you do, yeah. This Which we'll talk about, but just know going into this that the proper noun uh, situation here is world class. It's good, yeah. With the, I mean, it's an RPG. Good what? names, good place names, love it. I was going to say, it's an RPG. What do you expect? Like, unusually, especially like a monolith soft RPG. <laughs> I mean, kind of... Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, fair they kind of get it together um, towards the Xenoblade games or whatever. But yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I love, like, I am really into... I love it when, like, games just throw... The Emperor's name is Geldablame. Geldablame. What? And Fallon and Amy, which is spelt with no A <gasps> or no, you know, with a, with an E <laughs> and... <laughs> it's it's weird. It's bizarre, but one of the one of the countries is Anuewe. I love that one. An Anuenue. It's a Anuenue. Right? That is a word, though. That is a Hawaiian <laughs> word for rainbow. So, yeah. Oh, a, a, I'm very happy to be corrected on that. One. Thank you. <laughs> there are, I'm sorry about no, that. No, no, no. I mean, there's a lot of deliberate choices in the wording. And again, I think I'll probably save most of this for disc two. But much of the sure. terminology in the game is around constellations and. Um, star signs um obviously there's a there's some there's definitely some latin in there too you know yeah exactly but can't have a jrpg without latin you cannot have a jrpg (laughs) without latin no i mean what's an rpg without esoteria and silly names hey (laughs) yeah we're used to it by now um and if any game earns it it's this one oh definitely this game does earn all the any kind of uh, unusual thing this game uh, leans into it to a really delightful degree yeah definitely but yeah, um, one last thing on the spirit thing, um, and because it kind of ties into the voice acting before we jump full into the story. Um, I read an interview once, or I read some discussion once. There was a rumor going around that the reason the voice acting sounds as muffled as it is is a deliberate choice by the voice directors in English because they were trying to convey the fact that the spirit was kind of out of. Do you know what I mean? Like out of the kind of sphere. Like in a different dimension. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. So it sounds deliberately muffled. Yeah. Which I think is really. Never mind. I love the voice. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think the execution's quite there. I, again, I think no. it's more of a voice direction thing than anything else. But I thought that That's would... a good swing. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting way of interpreting it. Definitely. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. So, hey, if it's like that, then good idea. But. Yeah, I, I, I have never turned the voices off. I can't do them without voice acting. I need the, I like to have somebody talking to me. I, I sometimes don't read everything on the screen. So mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, I totally get it. Like it's a turn off for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, um, so once Callus wakes up, the only thing you know about him is that he has been in a coma and all he remembers is his home being destroyed and his family being murdered. And he wants to seek revenge on the empire. So he goes off to Moongile Forest and bumps into a young woman called Shella and her little Greythorn Mimai and Shella is very much a typical um just your typical like deuteragonist I suppose it's not really a spoiler to say that I guess um I think she's cool and I think she makes for a good like match for Callus especially because she's a lot more sassy than a lot of other protagonists I'd played um I'd seen up until that point I think she's got a bit of sass around her and yeah she pairs well with Callus definitely Um, yeah um in my notes I actually wrote down like Shella equals proto Melia from Xenoblade because the Ooh. way you like intro- they introduce her is just like she's 
in a forest and gets attacked and yeah. her two bodyguards get killed. And it's like, this is very much how you meet Melia in Xenoblade Chronicles. I mean, I know it's a different writer and all, but it's just like, I got those vibes. But then unlike um, Shulk and his team, like afterwards, Callus is like, let me loot these dead bodies. And it's like, no, <laughs> Callus, no, her friends just died. Oh, they do set him up to be such an ass, don't they? Um, yes. I don't. They do it so consistently, but like the party completely are fine with it. They just like bully him essentially for the entire first half of the game. So yes, yeah. Well, you know, some of the later characters are like they're like let, almost give the sense that they're like trying to take him under their wing. Yeah. Or you know he's misguided. Uh, let's, literally, let's not ostracize him. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Let's, Let's not ostracize him. Let's bring him on board and try to, like, show him the way. Yeah, essentially, because he, he kind of just gets wrapped up into the whole story of the game. And, like, Shella is kind of where it starts because she's in the forest and she's mm-hmm. after, um, she's after what, I don't know whether it's revealed now, but um, she's after one of the End Magnus, which is, like, a special seal that sealed something away. We don't know at this point. We'll find out at the end of the episode. Yeah, you pre- it pretty much is at that moment because I think you fight that boss yeah. which has one. Right, that's right, yeah. And um, the pendant is the thing that unlocks it. Um, she's passing as a maid, isn't she? Um, from Alphard at this point. Um, or that's at least what she says she is. Um, whether she is or not, I don't know. Um, but yeah. Um, so you get the Magnus, kind of, and then she gets kidnapped by Giacomo, gets taken off to Furcard and you have to go and save her from the mansion. And Sadal Sud is quite a short island compared to most of the other ones, I would say. Um, there's not too much going on mm-hmm. here. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it is like your aunt, isn't it? It's like a starting island and things like that. But things start to open up a little bit. Yeah, which, yeah, like the, the mansion, like, not to bring up Chrono Cross again, but it's like <laughs> very much reminded me of like Viper Manor. It like, does. Yeah. Yeah, I played Chrono Cross after Barton Kaitos, so I wish I'd had like this prior knowledge going into it. I've not really thought of comparing the two too much, but yeah, it definitely is like that. And um, there's some really interesting characters in Furcard, like uh, Palolo the Third, who maybe has the worst voice acting in this game, <laughs> along with one of the other kids on Anue Anue. Um, but there's, and then this is where one of the bigger side quests start as well, and. Is this a monolith thing? Just really, really big, long side quests? Because it certainly is a Xenoblade. <laughs> but I don't know about Xenosaga, um, obviously. And Soma Bringer and other couple of other things. Or it's not in Project Cross Zone either, I don't think. But yeah, um, the family, family tree side quest is a really cool side quest, I think. And it's just... I think this game is so, like, obsessed with collecting things. Like... You've got so many different stores of books and items and we'll get into Magnus in a bit because Magnus, we're referring to it on and off, are the cards that basically collect essence called Magna Essence. And you can trap everything in there from like water to flames to clouds and everything. And they're even what you use in battle. They are the, they are the essence of the world, basically. And... Yeah, it's just such an interesting system. Um, but yeah, so you get. Have you ever have you ever heard of that like that like uh, kind of uh, of like that medical physical theory from uh, like revolving around Aladdin and his genie and Ooh. what the like physics ramifications of having a genie is and how I don't know I, I don't want to get into it. It's a fun 
like rabbit hole, but basically like it would cause worldwide chaos and uh, like a physical like breakdown of the, the physical world. <laughs> uh, anyway, point is like thinking of like how, how the genie dresses up Aladdin and brings like all of those dancers in that huge parade into Agrabah. And it's like, those are all, are those real people? Is this material? Like, is that made of material elements? Like, is it just a, a, an illusion? What is it? Anyway, the Magna, like the Magnus thing reminds me of that. Like, what are the, scientific and like the economical ramifications of like being able to trap eggs in a card <laughs> or like yeah or like ice or water or, in a card and just having it on this little card walking around or dead birds yeah or cookies or dead birds yeah yeah and the fact and, and the the some of the not the well some of the battle magnus but also the other kind of more world interacting magnus is they're like if you hold on to milk for too long, it'll turn into yogurt and then cheese or something like that. So, like, there is, like, still, uh, time is still passing in the card and the, the process, the processes are still being carried out, even though it's in this little card. Yeah. It's, it's a fun idea that is also, like, maybe a little bit too fun to think about too much. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I wish they went into it more. And actually, you, again, you brought up, like, maybe one of my favorite things about this game is how it uses, like, as you said, if you have a bottle of milk in a card, it will turn into cheese or yogurt next and keep mm -hmm. going. And there's so many different things, like Battle Magnus do the same. Um, I think... Yeah, you can, have a he you can have a healing fruit, Magnus, that then turns rotten, and then it's like a poison card you can play on an enemy. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's such a clever idea. And, um, yeah, you've got, like, books that change every 20 minutes, and it goes in your um, um, in-game timer. So, yeah, there's things that change. I think the longest changing item is three weeks of in-game time. So there's... I, I brought this up either during the quiz episode last year or on 250 it might have been both but there is an item that doesn't fully develop until you hit like 300 hours so that's like oh, three God. weeks three weeks of time um it's a speedrun category as well like 100 percent button kytos the world record is something like 342 hours so that's right you you were who i heard that from yeah i remember <laughs> that Ugh. yeah it's such a cool idea and i think it plays really well into like everything because you have to resource manage and like let's go on to diadem because i know there is well once you get to the end of sadal sued you rescue rescue shella from the mansion you have to fight giacomo um which you know you're only on the first island. You're probably still getting used to the battle system, and we'll jump into that in a little bit. But the fight with Giacomo is not particularly easy, especially when you're limited on, like, elements. And, again, you're still getting used to having... You've not had a two-person party, really. You've had one fight with Shella, and now all of a sudden you've got to learn how to manage two people and also manage two decks. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but, yeah, moving on to... Yeah, it's it's the classic JRPG thing where, like, after you deal 150 HP of damage, he's like, I'll come back to you later. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you win the battle. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, it does... Well, so many games do that. Um, but, yeah, um, jumping over to Diadem, um, which I want to jump ahead slightly because there is a dungeon called the Cloud Passage, and the clouds melt in your Magnus slots, don't they? Like, they disappear after a certain amount of time. And I think, again, at Furcard, um, the water gets, like, stale, and mm -hmm. that just changes the quality of it. So, yeah, it runs through pretty good. Um, but, yeah, Diadem is where things start to open up. And 
again, taking a slight detour, this is probably the first time I noticed how really gorgeous this game is. Like, the oh, map God. detail is oh. so, so good. Yeah, Diadem is a really good example. And almost, like, everywhere feels so unique in Bankaitos. Like, Diadem is, like, pink clouds and Anua Nue is flora and fauna and Mira is I don't know how to describe Mira, but we'll get there eventually. Um, yeah, <laughs> yep. it, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah, Diadem's probably my favorite of the floating uh, islands because uh, the just the billowing clouds and smoke and everything just looks it's it's so beautiful. It's... Yeah, as you approach as you approach Castle Elnath and, and oh. you know that towers over the main city in Diadem, it's like this uh, just unbelievable pre-rendered just like really soft clouds in like a perpetual sunrise like pink and purple and then the thing about the backgrounds in this game is that they're all animated mm. and it does a lot to give a lot of depth and life to it and so the mm. the clouds are kind of like they're kind of flowing downward off of the architectural features of the castle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> completely yeah. spectacular. Yeah, yeah, it's that and the wind cave as well, where, like, it's coming, it's, like, spilling down off the map there. So, yeah, it's so exactly. pretty. Yeah, um, this is, like, one of the last games, as well as the sequel, prequel, um, that I remember having pre-rendered backdrops in. Like, it felt like the PlayStation 2 GameCube era was where they kind of faded off and... They're like my favorite things ever. I really, we don't need them anymore, but I love them and I Ugh. want them forever. Like, mm -hmm. you know, chrono, like again, to make the Chrono Cross references, like these match Chrono Cross in, but in like terms of beauty, I think they are stunning. Mm. And there's so many different varieties of location and stuff that it just looks amazing. Um, so yeah. Uh, but once you get to Diadem, um, the fishing village, which I, the name escapes me, unfortunately, um, you have to go to Nashira, the Celestial... I think. Nashira, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you have to go to the Celestial River after meeting Liud, who is a, a soldier from the Imperial um, capital of Alphard, or Alphard, the Empire Alphard, and then you bump into Gibari, and Gibari is your typical dad party member, but he's so cool. I loved Gibari. He just look, looks like like old man Waka, like if Waka from Final Ten got older. He oh does. yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's yeah. Def definitely like they, we played Final Fantasy Ten. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's great. I, I love. Um, I mean, as a character, he's one of my favorites too. So he's he's a great uh, uh, he's a great addition to the party there. Yeah, he is really good. Um, good defensively, good attacking wise, and. Um, yeah, the Celestial River is kind of a bit of a detour. Like, Ibari agrees to take you to the castle and Sheliak, uh, if you help him calm the Celestial River. Um, then this is where kind of, there's a lot of dungeons in this game that have like weird mechanics and things. And I always remember the Celestial River. It's kind of like a stopgap, but like, once you beat the boss in this dungeon, its corpse floats down the river and stops <laughs> the current partway down. And also part of this dungeon like loops underneath another dungeon as well. And like, I can't, th there probably is another example in all the stuff I've played. Um, I can't think of many games where like you go into another dungeon from another angle, but don't go into it. If that kind of makes sense. Like you're just underneath mm. the cloud passage as you go through. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Celestial River is under cloud passage. Yeah. That's mm. right. 
Because yeah. you can see one of the one of the uh, family tree super long side quest people like hanging <laughs> on for dear life underneath you while you're walking across the cloud passage. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. I haven't been doing most of the family tree this time. I've done it before. Um. It's a very long side quest and very involved at times. Like, especially yeah. later on, you get some really particular requests. Uh, you can tell who they are. Like, they've all got bracelets and. Also, like, how has this man got, like, 50 children? I have no idea. It was spread across the entire world. Who knows? Um, well, he's been married, like, four times or whatever. Like, yeah. His ex-spouses are always like, I'm not signing this until you do something, unless you do such and such thing for me. And that was when I was like, uh, maybe I won't do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's certainly really interesting. But, yeah, it's just so it's like, I, don't, I don't even I don't even know this guy, you know? Yeah, and you don't get a convenient way to, like, back... Um, like explore until later on yeah. the game anyway. So yeah, disc one is yeah. very linear. So trying to do that is like you have to wait so long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah, the Celestial River is kind of a stopgap until you get to Sheliak. But in between that, um, the fishing village gets um, overrun by the um, Empire, and you have to escape through the back through the Cloud Passage and. Then to the castle town where you overhear Liud having a bit of an argument with another um, soldier. And that's also in the introduction. Like, there are so many things in that opening cutscene that I go back to and pick out from the game. I'm like, you're really just going to dump hints like that, really, obviously. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sheliak is, other than the castle, it's pretty normal looking. It's similar to Furcard in a way. Um, but... Then you have to go inside the castle. And again, I've already referenced gimmicks, but Barton Kytos has lots of dungeons with lots of gimmicks. And Shiliak Castle is maybe the first most notable one with the um with the soldiers minigame. Yeah, I forgot all about this minigame. It like... takes so long as well. Like if you don't know what you're doing. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Um but like it's essentially a math game. Like a senior knight is worth like eight points and then you've got your squires which are worth one point so as long as you like evenly distribute them it's fine but if you don't know what you're doing and you use up all of them and you have to fight tons and tons and tons of fights which are not the easiest thing in the world um but yeah uh i guess i think now is probably a good time to talk about combat i know we've only got half the party but we can kind of jump we're going to jump around a lot in this episode sure. so i mean the combat doesn't change that much when you get more people it's just we just have more people exactly yeah so um essentially the basics are you have a party of three maximum and each character has their own deck i think it's 25 to start off with and you pick up class up items throughout the game which can expand your deck up to 60 or 50 i think um and yeah, uh, your characters get an attacking move just like you do in a turn-based RPG and they get a defensive move. But the difference is, is that you can actually defend on those turns. And depending on what character you've got or what character is being attacked, you can use weapons to defend and elemental get, gain elemental bonuses or elemental resistances mm. and things like that. So yeah, it's a really, really unique system. And like, mm -hmm. it, it does take a real lot. It takes a while to get used to, but... It's a lot more fluid than, than I thought it would be. It's uh, it, there's a lot of room to mess around with it. Like I find that if um, I've, sometimes I found it, for example, uh, expedient to use up some useless cards in, in the defensive phase yeah. just to get them out of the deck or out of my hand, mm -hmm. so I can hopefully f get some better cards in my hand for the next round. Mm -hmm. um, 
in if like let's say I get a bad uh, in this can't happen where you have kind of bad luck and you can't uh, you don't have any defensive cards in your hand. Um, uh, obviously, if you did, you'd want to use those. But if you don't, you'll just like get rid of maybe a healing card that you don't think you'll need, or maybe whatever other kind of card that maybe just imposes a static a status effect on on your enemy, and then uh, by doing so, you can just, like, kind of cull your hand of the cards you don't think you'll need and hopefully get the ones that you want. So there's, you know, ideally for every single move of every single turn, you'll have a card that corresponds. But if not, there's still kind of like a strategy to it that I was surprised by. Yeah, and the uh, other thing about the system is, like, the uh, combo system where, like, each card has a number on it and Mm -hmm. you can pull off these really, like, either like p- more power stronger attacks or heal yourself better if you follow like either do the number like the cards in like order like sequential order like one two three four five or or if you do like multiple pairs of like cards that have the number one on it um i thought that added an, an interesting layer of strategy that was really cool like, there were times where I was, like, healing, and I would, like, heal with, like, uh, say, like, a bottle of milk that, like, only, like, heals 100 HP, but if I have this useless card that does nothing, that I can, like, like have the same number or something, I can increase that um, 100 by, like, a certain amount of percentage of, and it was really cool system. So that's the, the layer that I was talking about before that I'm not actively engaging with mm-hmm. you do often you do often just stumble into oh it, yeah there's times where i accidentally do it and it's like oh cool that's that's great yeah mm-hmm. and it's 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 not it's it is great it's like way super great it's way <laughs> <laughs> like it's it, broken it ups the potency of your cards by several times um but i i do want to just mention that i'm not really actively engaging with that part of it at the moment mm-hmm. uh, but the combat is still satisfying i find so if anyone is like worried about needing oh to, yeah no like crunch all those numbers like you don't really you don't have to because yeah, no. sometimes it's actually been a detriment because i've like get so focused like getting combos that i'll accidentally like heal the the enemy <laughs> like, yeah or like i'll throw a turn because i don't have the number three and i've got one two and four and I'm like well yeah or something like that yeah i totally agree um yeah the first couple of times i played this game i didn't fully engage in the number system and i do now sometimes but again like it kind of trips me up occasionally um mm-hmm. but it does add an extra layer and it is helpful but yeah it's absolutely more than beatable without engaging in it mm-hmm. like you don't have to and it just adds that extra layer of depth um it's mm-hmm. more worthwhile getting involved in the elemental side of things because that's where you do you know yes. you get like your plus 80 percent and your plus 30 percent on attacks and that so um there are six elements uh so there's fire and water which correspond with each other there is light and dark which correspond with each other and there's wind and chronos or time which correspond with each other and nine times out of ten an enemy will have one or two of those elements and they'll be weak to you know if they're water type they're weak to fire or if they're like light type they're weak to dark and it will vary they tend to have a mix of weaknesses but you have to like pick them out or take a photograph of them and that's really interesting because sometimes you can heal them and especially if you like attack a boss that's got like a darkness resistance and you attack them with a dark sword 
and they take like minus they've got like a minus 80 percent resistance they'll take like 80 80 percent less damage is a lot of a big chunk to lose really so yeah that's the side that's more worth engaging with i'd say um but it makes things very interesting because you need to kind of keep a balance on all elements while also shuffling around ones that you don't need like Mm -hmm. generally the first time i played it again like i didn't really i I sort of engaged with it i knew what i was doing but i was never willing you know i always had to have one of each element of each card kind of thing especially for especially for like sheller and mizuti who rely um mizuti's the sixth character um those are purely elemental attacks by them exactly yeah so you have to think that you have to compensate but you don't like it's worth micromanaging your deck to a degree but you never fully need to do it like you can get by without all of these systems and yeah it's fairly adaptable it's not there are some big difficulty spikes especially at the beginning of disc two but yeah it's not so just as just as we come off the battle system uh, i want to mention real quick how badass it is that Liud uses trumpets (laughs) to fight yeah like assault trumpets (laughs) and and like different brass instruments that are weaponized definitely yeah that's That's pretty awesome i think it's really cool and Liud's probably my favorite character to use in battle because like um not many of the other than shella and uh, mizuti like light and dark elemental stuff is kind of hard to come by like um i guess callus kind of sticks to wind and chronos he's got fire and water as well but there's they've all got a bit of everything and another thing like weapons as well certain elemental weapons can degradate over to degrade over time like the flame sabers the fire burns out of them after a couple of hours and they just turn into regular sabers so yeah that's another way you can kind of like reshuffle your deck and things like that and yeah characters like liud um shella and mizuti you can't guard with any of their weapons either. Um, so you have to use armor. So the percentage of like defensive to attacking needs to be slightly different than, say, Callus and Gabari, who can guard with about 90% of their weapons, I would say, and Savina, who can guard with about 30 or 40% of them. So, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. And it just uh, the bigger your deck gets, the more interesting it gets and the higher combos you can build and whatever. Um, but, yeah... Um, Diadem kind of wraps up relatively quickly, but King Ladakhan kind of feels like your first ally outside of the party. And Callus again, kind of like kicks up a bit of a stink here because he's just kind of being dragged along. Like we kind of get to the feel of like Shella is going around to unseal these Magnus for some reason to prevent the revival of an ancient god. And back at the fishing village, actually, um, it was probably a good time to bring it up. You talk to a fortune teller who essentially tells you the history of the world, which is that the world used to have an ocean that was swallowed up by a god called Malpercio. And Malpercio. Yes, very Italian inspired. <laughs> I want, It's not an actual word, though. I thought it would have been. It's, it, it's meant to mean like bad god, I'm sure. But yeah. Um, so yeah, the ocean is sucked up by this god and he is sealed away by five heroes or some wizards and that's what the cards are they are the seals for now anyway um so yeah shella's mission is to kind of collect all of these or that's what she wants to do Mm -hmm. what she whatever you know there's a lot of things going on later on and she plays a pivotal part in disc two so yeah but um unless anyone's got anything important to say about diadem we can move on to the next island. It's pretty. Uh, just that you fight a big beetle. You do. You fight. You fight a big beetle at the. The empire. The empire has mechs, but they're beetles. <laughs> they're all gold as well. <laughs> 
very shiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the beetle outside the castle's not too hard. Iron beetle and cloud passage can be a pain. Um, I've never had too much trouble with it, but yeah, I I'm getting the hang of things by this point usually, and yeah, everything falls into place. Um, but yeah, Ladakhan's like your first ally, really outside of the main party, and he really kind of fighting in your corner you go he's... get the next card oh sorry oh no i was just gonna say he's dreamy that's that's it he is dreamy he is he's also got a good voice actually i'll say he's got one of the better voices in the game let's go with that yeah um i'll have to look him up <laughs> um but yeah uh so you get the next card well you don't because it blies away this game's got a habit of you like getting the item and then losing it every single time and it's just like come on what are we doing but yeah like Liud is immediately pinned as kind of a traitor because obviously he works for the empire and he feels really guilty about it and Ladakan is really good Ladakan, Shella and Gibari are really good at comforting him but Shella um Callus is very abrasive with him and very much like oh I don't trust you kind of thing and he carries this through again till the next island um so we go to Anue Nue and Again, another gorgeous place. And Corellia is a bit different from Ladakhan. Like, she's she's one of those, like, well-actually people who's very neutral and very, like, I'm not going to do anything. And this is the first time you meet Gelderblame, who is, for lack of better word, kind of grotesque, kind of horrible, makes your skin crawl kind of um, villain. Um, but, yeah, this is, like, the first time we've really seen him. And... Mm-hmm. Progression through a new and new is really strange because it kind of just is like, oh, you have to go here, or why? Do- I-, I think you come out of the castle and you bump into a woman, and she's like, you should go to the ancient library of magic. Like it's really convenient that we should go in this direction <laughs> now. I mean, it's obviously a mislead because you know um, that is where Falon, who is another one of these three people, along with Amy and Giacomo, who are pivotal to Callus's backstory, um, and. Uh, again the ancient library of magic is another really strange dungeon that you have to do like book puzzles every why has every library got like the same puzzle where you get like the book that's like a history book geography book literacy book or something like that and you have to go and put them in the right college shelf um yeah oh god put the literacy book at the at the, you gotta show the literary section <laughs> door the liter the literature book yeah. Uh, so that it's like, oh, okay, isn't that what it is? Like, you have to get the right book to the right place to open the seals. To get We're librarians right. at this point. Yeah, we are librarians. Every being attacked by the books, but the books are actively antagonizing. <laughs> oh, the book enemies here are annoying. They're the yes. ones that are, like resistant to everything, aren't they? Or is they're, or they're resistant to everything but one element, and then it's like a hundred percent weak. But all all I remember about them is that you would like you're trying to find these books as part of the quest, and you'll pull out a book from the shelf, and it's like, oh, this is a bad guy. <laughs> or yeah. attack. Or sometimes I would be dumb and just like, hey, did I already check this shelf? Oh, book book attack. Yeah. Oh, I backtracked in here so much. I got so <sighs> lost in uh, I, like. I, trying to just kind of not lost but just trying to find my way i found pretty difficult in this one and then at one point you have to cr- climb up on top of the bookshelves to navigate yeah and it's just like hmm. yeah it's one as much as i love pre-rendered backdrops without like you know how in ff7 you can press the select button and it'll show you like the arrows for where you can climb up things <laughs> mm-hmm. and that i want that function in this game because yes. like, i love pre-rendered backdrops but you can't always tell what you can interact with and what you can't interact with like, uh, unless right. it's animated but yeah, yeah the library is one thing well uh i had that trouble with the next dungeon hollow hollow jungle where i just like oh, could not tell yeah. where the heck i was going 
Yeah, Hollow Hollow Jungle. Um, Hollow Hollow Jungle in this game is at least better than it in um, Origins with the Hollow Hollow Bird. That is a nightmare to fight. Um, but yeah, like I had the same problems. Every time I do the Ancient Library of Magic, I get lost. It doesn't matter how many times I've done it. And the really... I say annoying thing because in other RPGs I'm like I want the enemies to respawn all the time enemies respawn if you go off screen every single time especially the books it's so annoying that like you can never get around anywhere without being attacked um, but at least they're not random encounters I guess but yeah um so and here they might as well be yeah, yeah. they may as well be in this dark in a few places as well definitely like the mirror dungeon towards the end of the disc um but yeah, um, so we go through the holo holo jungle afterwards. Um, not too much happens there. You have to get one of the stones to direct your way through. And then we get to Opu, the Waterfield Village. And there is a little quest here, I think, with uh, Mayfi, um, who is the other kid I was talking about with the really terrible voice. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have the Celestial Cookie. Is this where it starts? Someone will have to remind me if it's here. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, I'll, I'll just say she's perfectly charismatic with the voices off. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I was going to say, we're we're just kind of waiting for... Uh, well, is this where we're waiting for Savina? Or... That's right, yeah. No, this is where we find her. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is where we're waiting for It's her. like, while we're yeah, waiting, yeah. let's do these three quests... Yeah. That's right, yeah. Savina saves you in the library because you fight Falon and he like stuns you, doesn't he? You, it's one of the, it's again, you beat Falon in a boss, but actually you haven't beaten him because he's more powerful than you, so he's going to knock you out and then Savina comes along to save you kind of thing. And yeah, so she's like, come to the waterfall village, which is why you end up going through the jungle to get there. Yeah, the Celestial Cookie quest is interesting, definitely. Um, I know, I think Pete, you have- I love this quest. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if, it's, if if this quest is one and the same with the actual parts in the village that I really resonated with. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, the well, yeah, it is because the whole point is to bring. Okay, so Mayfi is like an acolyte of the celestial tree. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Anuenue worships the celestial tree that is supposed to blossom every certain period of time, but hasn't in like generations or what, or like over a generation or around a generation yes. for a while. Yeah, it's supposed to be every very 30 years, I think. Every ah. 30 years. Yeah. And everyone's very concerned because it's been way more than 30 years and no one knows what's going on. And meanwhile, the stuff with the, em- the empire is like worrying everyone. And there's a young acolyte of like, whatever priesthood or like religious order it is that that uh are the caretakers for the celestial tree and her name is Mayfi and her grandma she lives with her grandma who's sick and her whole thing is she wants to you guys can stop me or correct me if I'm getting any details wrong but she wants to pray to the celestial tree to be able to uh heal her grandma and she believes that the blossoms from the celestial tree can be made into a medicine that that can help her grandma um yeah the other part of this is that the opu has this big water wheel uh that drives kind of their whole industry and it's stuck right now um so so okay (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying, trying to just remember what's going on. I'm looking at my notes here. No, you're good. You're um, right. You're right so far, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this... At the water wheel, this is one of the more charming parts of this particular part. There's this little kid who, about the age of Mayfi, who's the, the water wheel's principal engineer. <laughs> and 
Uh, uh, many children are very accomplished individuals uh, in this continent. <laughs> yes. And um, so the point is, like, you go to the, the kind of where the the, blo- the Celestial Blossom Festival is, which is another section of the island. There's a guy there that sells cookies, but he says, I don't have any more flour to make you cookies. Mayfi wants cookies because she believes that if she offers these Celestial Blossom seed cookies to the altar, then it will help heal her grandma. Uh, but what she actually does is she wants to pray for the water wheel to be fixed. So she's not asking for like a miracle out of nowhere. She's asking for the water wheel to be fixed so that she can use the celestial blossoms, grind them mm-hmm. up in the mill to create the medicine that she wants to use. So she wants to like put action to her wish basically, right? Yeah. And so long story short, you acquire the cookies after a while of like finding seeds, getting them made, take them to the guy, he makes them for you. <laughs> you give them back to Mayfi and then – she places them on the altar, and at that moment, the water wheel starts working again, mm-hmm. and she's so happy, and it's a very touching thing. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, if you've ever, uh, if anyone has been in, like, religious circles before, there's sometimes is the concept of, like, having faith, but then there's, like, the action that you should put in, or else your faith isn't might not work out for you, and that's kind of, like, a cool story of that. And there's um, also this concept of, like, angels or like people who are divinely sent to help you are often the people around you and your friends. And so the water wheel starts working out of nowhere and she's so happy and she runs away. And then this kid comes out from like a hidden passage (laughs) and he says, yeah, I fixed it. uh, I fixed it like a couple hours ago, but I just wanted to wait for her to do that so that she would be happy. And it turns out this kid has like this big crush on her, Yeah, (laughs) but is too shy to, like, tell her, but instead, like, performs almost a miracle <laughs> just because he likes her. And I just thought that that whole side quest was really neat. It was very touching. It resonated a lot with me. Um, and, and, you know, it like, there's a lot of beautiful uh, uh, um, close-look moments to this game like that. Yeah. It's... Regarding individual characters that kind of come and go. Yeah, it's really endearing. Like, you get real snapshots of every single island and every single mm-hmm. culture, you know? Like, you've got Anna at the fishing, in the fishing village, who you get a real sense of, like, community around that bar, and you've got Rebelis as well and his rivalry with Gibari, and they both come into play later on in the game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, There's one quick thing I want to mention that's pretty critical about the side quest, too, is that Mayfi's idea of... Um, like faith or whatever it kind of uh is juxtaposed by Corellia's idea because Corellia's yeah. thing is is she she's like a total centrist and doesn't want to do anything and, and is completely inert because she believes in fate totally yeah and so um so you know at the end of this time on this island we help the blossoms on the celestial tree to bloom and even then Queen Corelli is like, yeah, but faith can't be stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just fate. Look at this f- thing that happened when it was literally like you and your party that made it happen. But she was like, yeah, man, fate. You know, <laughs> <laughs> she comes off that luckily, but yeah, she's definitely. I like Corelia, but I only like Corelia towards the end. Like especially after Ladakan, who is very much a do it kind of person and she's just like no I'll just leave it you know I can't interfere we're a neutral party we can't do anything like no no and like Corellia even throughout 
Anuinui's story, like she changes slightly towards the end because she senses something different within Callus and she senses something different in the world and she has a vision when you eventually get the end Magnus, which you climb up the top of the celestial tree and that's where it is. Um but yeah, um I think the just juxtaposition between like fate and um religion and religious beliefs is really important because it's like this is like the only place where they worship anything like considering like there's a sealed god there's not a lot of religious worship but when it comes in it's really poignant especially when you put it against like all of these people think that you know because the world has been reduced to floating islands that malpertia was going to get resurrected everyone's kind of sort some people are sort of resigned to that and everyone just wants things to go their own course but Callus or Shella is trying to stop that from happening at least anyway it's the empire's right. ambition is like acting upon fate and things um but yeah um so you climb the celestial tree eventually after saving um Mayfi climbs up the tree and you have to rescue her but she's only she's trying to get the seeds again isn't she for something mm-hmm. else um and then you fight the boss there um you then Savina gets into a fight with you because Liud recognizes her from the empire and she was a soldier or like an officer or whatever. Yeah, she's I think she sells it as a mercenary, doesn't she? After mm-hmm. she was part she was a soldier yeah. and then she was a mercenary. Um one, also a small-time gardener. App- apparently, yeah. She's all multi-talented. <laughs> hey, she's cool as hell. I love her. Yes, but she, Savina's yeah, cool. Yeah, Savina is probably the coolest character for me. Like she might be my favorite. Yeah. She's a martial artist. She's amazing. Martial artist female characters are always great. Martial arts is always great anyway, but yeah. She, you can you can you can get like twelve hit combos with her, no problem. Oh yeah. She's she takes probably the most adapting to though because yeah, she's a little she, bit faster than she everybody is else. So but quick. Like that's the thing. There is that real time element where like the timer ticks down for you to pick cards and that and right. yeah, for her it's quick yeah yeah it's really quick because she moves so much faster than everybody else but yeah and she's like the opposite of Liud in that she specializes in fire and water and those are the only two elements she ever gets like whereas Liud is only light and dark and there's no one that just gets wind and chrono but yeah um but yeah Anue Anue in terms of like overall plot stuff like things just kind of move along steadily this is the first card you manage to keep for the time being as well um so after um Queen Corellia has a vision, you leave a new Anue for um a very unusual mini game. Um another one of this game's many strange things. Another um, one I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this too, even though I've played this game like. Oh, three is this times. Star Fox? Is this where Star Fox comes into play? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty... Oh my gosh, yes, I love this one. It's so cool, isn't it? Um and this might be my favorite part of the entire game. Not like the mini game itself, but like everything surrounding oh, Mira. It's I, like, yeah, Baton Kaitos is pretty good, but the Star Fox <laughs> section is what I like. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I like Star Fox. I, I've only played a few of them. Um, there's only a few of them anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, yep. so, so you go along to Mira, which is like this pocket dimension. So you can't get there by normal means and you have to go through some kind of mysterious passage. You get attacked by Gelderblame, not Gelderblame, Giacomo, too many Gs who work for Alphard. Um, and you meet Mizuti, who is the absolute a treasure, best. A oh, precious treasure. She is a precious, I say she, that's a big spoiler, isn't it? Um, the, they are, <laughs> they, the great Mizuti is a treasure. Um, and they offer to take you across the Passage of Souls, I think it might be called. And yeah, what what is this? Why is it doing the near thing where it changes genre halfway through the game and it just throws you into a like 
on-rail shooter, which <laughs> if you don't kill things, you have to fight random encounters. It's probably more like, isn't it more like a Panzer Dragoon? Aren't you like locking on and yeah. releasing laser blasts? Yeah. And then if you fail, they just like get on your ship and it's a battle. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's... it's- it is, it's neat. I Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, too. I think it was fun. Yeah, it's fairly inconsequential, but it's kind of cool. I like how they th- I like it when games throw in really weird elements. And the music in this section is wild. <laughs> it is so, so, so good. I can't remember the name of the track, but I know exactly what one it is. Um, yeah. And it looks cool, too, because it's like this interdimensional kind of, like, rift, and so there's all this, like... Mario Kart Rainbow Road stuff going on <laughs> in the middle of space. And, and, at, and at the end of it, you fight a Gnosis, which is an enemy you, from Xenosaga. Or, well, you the, do, yeah. I mean, this isn't an exact Gnosis from the series, but from Xenosaga, but it it's named Gnosis, which is a reference, which it, is cool. It's... It's a definite reference. Oh, and yeah. The less we the less we say about the design, the better, though. Like, <laughs> oh, it's foul. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you went there. You said that. That's fine. You said it in the most polite way possible, though, so you get, you get, po- you get points what? for that. What are you guys talking about? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's not. It's also not the only one you fight, um, so <laughs> never mind. Uh, so yeah, you get to Mira, and Mira has got different world map music, and every village on Mira is a treat. I love Mira. One of them, literally, yes. Literally a Go on, sorry. Yeah. I was, just, I was just saying, it's called it's called Mira because it's like the land of illusion, right? Yeah. Mira is like Latin for look and like seeing or whatever. So yeah. there, as you walk around the world map, it'll cycle between two states of like the path appears and then the path disappears that you're allowed to walk on. And it's like it's like a two-second cycle, but it's like, oh, wait, which one am I going? Oh, okay. The, the path is clearing. I can see where I'm going now. Yeah, it's really unusual. Like I think when you get off the ship or your um, – they're not called ships, are they? I don't know what it is. Like you ride on various different strange animals. They're like they're like semi-organic flying machine animal things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like when you get off, like everything's clouded over, isn't it? Nothing gets revealed until you're like on the spot that you need to be. Whereas you can sort of tell on the other islands where everything is. But yeah, Mirror is so cool, and Parnas, which is the literally a treat area, is literally a confectionery village made out of sweets and cakes, which is incredible and. I love it. And yeah, again, like this, there's like another like mini introduction to some characters here. Like you meet Trill, who is one of Callus's friends, who you get like a little bit of backstory about his past because Callus is from Mira. Um, So this is kind of the first time you get a sense of who he really is. Um, And you also meet the two confectioners, the one of the chocolate one and the one of yeah. the pastry one. And the that two, kind of... The two rival confectioners. That's good. <laughs> That's amazing. storyline. Yeah. But most importantly in Parnas, you meet Melodia. And Melodia kind of... It feels like she comes out of nowhere. You feel like she's going to be one of these incidental characters. She kind of lasts into the end of the disc, at least, anyway, because Mira's the last place you go. And yeah, I, I'm not going to say anything now, but... I didn't. There's things I didn't spot. Essentially, mm. is all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, things are revealed a little later that I then noticed yeah, uh, yeah. in retrospect, which is amazing because like there are. I, do you know what? Let's just save it because I'm going to yeah. give away something if I say any more. Okay. Than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't. <laughs> yep. Don't listen to me. Right. So then you kind of go off onto a lead after resolving the pastry conflict. You go to. I think this is one of my favorite dungeons in anything ever. 
the garden. It's called, what's it called? Detorn? Um, De- the Mystical Garden. I just have it written down the- as the Tower of Druaga Dungeon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's so There it cool. is. There's a drop. There it is. Uh, Namco do such cool things with their RPGs because they do it in Tales games as well. And this is, I say Namco, this is published by Namco. Um, but they always drop big references into yeah, like, their games. Yeah, everyone's belt in Tales games has to be Pac-Man yep. eating the belt. There's always a Klonoa reference. Holes. There's always a Pac-Man reference. There's always a Mr. Driller reference somewhere. It's mm. great. And <laughs> I think Namco, though they published it, I believe they threw a lot... I say through. They gave a lot of money, or they put, like they put a lot of trust in Monolith Soft. Like mm. they were the first developers to go, like, "Oh, we really trust you. We've got really similar ideas. Let's back you up." And um, I guess interestingly, like I didn't say this at the beginning, um, Zeno Saga was developed by a lot of the veterans on Monolith Soft, whereas Button Kytos was worked on by a lot of new up and coming developers. Yeah, so, it's also uh, they were in co-production with the uh, Tricrescendo as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, Tricrescendo are really interesting historically because they branched off of uh, Wolf Team. Um, and we, I'm going to plug an episode I was on a couple of years ago. We did like an analysis of Wolf Team and Namco Bandai's Tales Studio uh, in 2019 um, because so many big studios came off of the back of um, that split, like Tricrescendo triace the people who worked on star ocean and things so yeah it's a really interesting one we do touch on bat and kytos there as well and eternal sonata which is another just a solely developed tri crescendo game so yeah um but yeah this tower so when you when you walk into the turn it, it initially you know it's it, it's it's a really unusual dungeon but it's a dungeon you're you're walking around in in bat and kytos land <laughs> and you're picking up items and it does a thing where there's like colored blocks that you can change in one of the rooms to make them either to like shift the gravity on them yeah. or something. Uh, and you can be like walking around on the ceiling. Maybe you get, maybe if you remember more, you can talk more about that. But there's, you're, you're changing gravity. You're changing gravity only for certain objects. You're collecting water to weigh certain objects down more to make them act in, in ways you want them to. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but then you break into literally Tower of Druaga where it's like, it's a top-down view of Kalos's model running around the game Tower of Draga, and but the map is all just straight graphics from Tower of Draga. So this like, you know, uh, 256 color like pixelated map, <laughs> but your like 3D model of Kalos is running around and doing random battles with the enemies from Tower of Draga that manifest in like the 3D models in the battle uh, battle mode or whatever. It's so weird. <laughs> it's, it's so amazing. weird. It's so yeah. It is amazing. Like it's one of the. It's such a cool little reference. Like oh, I say, little reference. It's a big reference. Mm-hmm. Like an entire dungeon film, like um, framed around it. And yeah, no, you're you pretty much on the. You've hit it on the head, really, Pete. Like it's a gravity based dungeon that you have to. You have to remember where each door goes because, like, obviously, because you're going between these three D areas and the two D area of the Draga references, mm-hmm. like. You That's can't right. Ever the Draga match... is like another dimension. So if you come out of from the Draga area and you exit that from a certain door, you'll be in a different door in like the real world. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that took me quite a while to get through. I got I got pretty lost. Yeah, yeah. I got lost. But the idea here, is you, was... you collect the, you collect the items from Tower of Draga, like the rocket yeah. boots and the pickaxe and the sword <laughs> and whatever and the key, and it's it's really cool. <laughs> it's just so cool. Yeah, like. 
I got lost here as well, but I wasn't as frustrated as I was with the ancient library of magic. Cause <laughs> I don't know. I was just kind of in love with it. I was just like, yeah, you can oh, do whatever yeah, you want. Delightful. You can make me as mad as you want. This is a Tower of Draga dungeon and I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so such I a cool idea. I didn't like those. I don't, I didn't write down the name of the monster, but there's these gross hand monsters <laughs> in the dungeon yes. that really creep me out. Oh, they're disgusting. This is some and really they're, bizarre they're enemy too. design. Mm-hmm. They are tough, yeah. They're resistant to so many different things, and they're really hard because you have to go in and out of the scale because they walk around the scales, don't mm-hmm. they? And mm-hmm. that you have to fill yeah. up with water. So like, they're so hot, you're always going to hit one. Like you, you're because there's like a delay and like there's like a you jump between platforms, don't you? There's like a platform in the middle that you have to press A to, but there's a delay in when Callus moves to when you press the button. Mm-hmm. So you can you're always you'll you'll always get hit basically. But yeah, you go to the garden to try and find this lot, the fourth end Magnus, and surprise it's a fake one because it's a literally a giant card. So you go back to Ponas, you get in Oh the boss is the card. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that forgot. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. then as you do damage to the boss, like, parts of the card start to, like, get cut off of it or whatever. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool boss, but yeah, nothing comes out of it, unfortunately. Just but nothing, like a, but it's a, but it's a, yeah, it's a ruse. Oops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's still really interesting, though. Like I said, like, the enemy design in this game is bizarre from, you know, Gnosis to these hands to the slime. Even the slimes, like, feel really cartoony. They feel very out of place. Are they from Tower of Draga? It's been a while since I've played Tower of Draga. Yeah, because so. you fight cool. them in Tower of Draga, and yeah, the slimes are in Tower of Draga. I'm pretty sh- sure. Now you're making me doubt. I think so. <laughs> they, feel, I, they feel like they would be, like, for a 1984 RPG or action game. It feels pretty safe yeah. to assume. Yeah, Um. so then you get imprisoned in Ponas, and Gibari literally eats his <laughs> way out of a house, which is incredible yes and like, no one wants to help <laughs> right like i mean i like confectionery sure but not like an entire like foundationary wall of it that's sure oh man it's, that's like, like why don't you think of that when you're imprisoning these people like <laughs> well, this is the it's, thing like yeah like why would you in an, I don't know what logic felt like i mean i guess the gods are from another town but surely you'd look at this place and be like Oh, okay. It must be made out of cake or something. Like, well, and did we? Are we at the storybook town yet, or is that after this? Uh, we're going there now. So don't worry, you're not getting too ahead of yourself. Yeah, no, (laughs) you're not. It's literally well, we're we're literally going there. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, good. Reverence is another really unique town. Um, there's only two unique towns because the third town on this island is kind of normal. Um, there is another really cool town in Origins. I'll just throw in. I don't remember the name (gasps) of it. I think Tyler, you might have brought this up. The Clay Town. Yes. Yeah. So there is another place that's like it looks like clay models, and it's so cool. It's so awesome. Yeah, reverence is fun. I just who who thought of all of this? Like, it's such a cool idea to have like this place that's based on like looking and visuals, but changes the visual style of everything up so much. Like, you've got everything from eight bit graphics to paper books to children's books to sweets to normal <laughs> towns to the last dungeon of disc one, which we'll get into in and- a bit. And there's a through line through it. it. It makes sense how you go from one to the other. It should be a mess. Like, this, sh- it shouldn't work. But it it does very, it, very well. You've accepted it by this point, I think. After <laughs> being thrown into Draga, definitely. Like, I wasn't questioning it. It was more of like a, oh, wow, this is such a cool idea. Um, But yeah, um, so you meet 
I, I think I've kind of skimmed over one of the fortune tellers, but you meet another fortune teller in this town after doing another side quest. I think you have to go and get something from the garden, don't you? And it mm-hmm. makes the clock tower pop out and you go and meet the witch and she says something about Callus. She says, um, she calls him the white winged dark. No, not the white winged darkness. I'm getting ahead of her. She says, I feel no Magnus within him. And actually I feel like I've missed out a really obvious piece of law here. Um, Everyone in Batankaitos has something called, well, most people in Batankaitos have wings. Uh, they're called wings of the heart and they're essentially a manifestation of their personality. The only person who doesn't is Lyud, but Callus is even more different because he's only got one wing. And that is essentially, that's almost like being the bastard child in like f- historical fiction, isn't it really? Like he's basically damned from the get go. Like, He's kind of he's kind of ostracized or yeah. marginalized, mm-hmm. almost like in a way that someone with a, a differing ability might be. It's kind of manifested in my mind in that way, and it actually, you're right, it does have ramifications for later. Yeah, definitely. And well, I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to, he has got a second wing. It's a mechanical wing built by his grandfather before his grandfather right. was murdered. Um, but yeah, like it's everyone makes a point of it throughout the game but this is like the first time where someone's gone like oh you're magnus you don't have a magnus and not only is magnus like the essence of everything you can pick everything up by the essence like magnus but also every single living thing is magna or magnus so even people and the fact that callus doesn't have one suggests something odd about him and there's a few things throughout mirror that kind of get dropped that suggest that you know, Callus' circumstances at the beginning of the game were that he had amnesia and it's pointing towards something which we don't get answers for in disc one, but we definitely get drip fed some things. So we go to, um, we find out that Melodia has been kidnapped. This might have happened actually in Ponas. I think the guards capture you because they think you've kidnapped her and you get directed to the Shrine of Spirits, which is where Callus is this where it's revealed now? Um, Callus is Callus remembers this place because this is where he was or at least this is where he was attacked Mm -hmm. um and it's a pretty straightforward place you bump into Giacomo and friends there and you fight another one of these phallic monsters we'll say like I'm concerned about the geography and the dimensions going on in mirror if that's all of the enemies they get these phallic (laughs) creatures but um yeah (laughs) It, it's just bizarre like uh, reu- like i don't i don't i don't care about reusing assets but like reusing a boss asset that quickly and something that noticeable i was like definitely had an eyebrow raised even at like 13 years old but yeah um and so you go to the very last place which we'll be talking about which is balanqua um so um here is where duke calbron is melodia comes back after you've done a little bit of exploring this is where callus is from and before that actually callus um finds out that the magnus that you got from inuinoe has gone missing and you go on this wild goose chase to find out and see oh we must have dropped it that's the idea like they say one of us must have dropped it or callus was responsible for it and you go between all the other areas and you find out None of you've got it. You can't find it. And then this kind of infighting comes in. Like people blame Callus, people blame Lyud, people blame Savina, who is also pegged as a traitor at some point, and Shella and Gabari are just trying to keep it together. Um, but yeah, you've lost the card. So you know, it's not even like I don't know. It's not even like that bit 
where you have all the chaos emeralds and you lose them in Sonic game. I have, I can't think of a comparison, but yeah, there's a lot of like bickering and the party feel really fracturous throughout anyway because they're just kind of circumstantially together. Like Callus mm-hmm. doesn't want to be there. Shella's on a mission. Gibari is helping her. Savina is curious about the Empire and Liud wants revenge on the Empire to a degree, or at least he wants to find out the truth about what they're going on about because he was kind of suspicious but still faithful to a degree. Um, At this point, he's not really. Like, he wants to know what's going on and is just scared to go back to Alphard. But um, you go to Duke Calbron's Manor and then you go join up with Mizuti and is this the weirdest dungeon in the game, maybe? Coquelin? So far... Cause that yeah, that's probably saying, yeah, that's saying something. Yeah, um, this place, this place gets a lot of hate online. I found out, and I get why. What? It's overwhelming. It's, really cool. it's overwhelming at first, but once you kind of yeah. get through it, it, it's not so bad. Yeah, I yeah, wonder... you gotta you gotta kind of pay attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have the worst sense of direction of anybody I know, <laughs> but the, they they specifically put up landmarks to help you orient yourself and i you know yeah i got turned around one or two times and you know you get sometimes get into battles you don't want to get into but i didn't think it was that bad at all i thought it was pretty cool yeah i think it's really interesting again it just like it's nice to go back to this because you know there's the long debate of oh rpg dungeons are so boring nowadays and you go back to something like this which is so unique in its dungeon layouts like there are some really basic ones you know the library is pretty common and the celestial river doesn't do anything particularly special and the places in sadal sud don't do anything particularly interesting but then you've got like you know you're climbing up a tree or you're going through an old retro game and there are some later on as well like there's puzzles throughout basically like this is this is the most 2000s rpg ever with all of its like dungeon variation and puzzles and I kind of love it for that, and Cockalinth is just like another really cool example. Like, again, I can't think of another game that's done anything like it, like for better or worse. But you know, at least it's got um, at least it's got something like that for it. Um, yeah. So we haven't really said what it is, but pretty much the game just renders itself in like this fractured, almost stained glass-looking uh, view of like five or six or seven different little windows yeah. all cut up in weird angles. Yeah, I think it's called and the Dungeon of Mirrors or something, isn't it? Yeah, so it's like a shattered mirror, it's called basically. What? I, I didn't hear uh, oh. Shattered mirror, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's like a shattered mirror that's just been like put back together in a funny way, yeah. Right, so as you're going around, each of the little windows or little like pieces of the mirror are basically a totally different camera angle. So you have to orient yourself and try to find out where you're going and where you've been um, just by using uh, the sparse kind of landmarks and, you know, trying to figure out which direction your character is facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely unique. Um, but no, I'd failed to explain that until that point. So thank you. Um, but yeah, um, this is kind of the last stop that we're going to make today. Um, but essentially you go down you fight a fairly easy boss mizuti joins your party and you have to try her out and you find out she's like shella um she's got more speciality i'm doing it again uh, they've got more speciality in um chronos magic than anything else um especially their special moves which we'll go into probably a bit in disc two uh when we come back next week um mm-hmm. But yeah, Giacomo and that turn up. The pendant is stolen. So not only do you not have any of the cards, you now have no way to unlock the Magnus, the end Magnus. And 
you go back up top because Mizuti has to absorb this kind of nebulous power that's leaked out of the um, dungeon. And Duke Calbron reveals that essentially the end Magnus, rather than just being seals on this god, are actually the body parts of this god, which is kind of disgusting to think about. But like, it feels really obvious. You know, when you're playing something and it explains something to you, and you're like, oh yeah, because like the cards are called ar le che bow which mean arm leg chest body and the last one i find that so absurd (laughs) but kind of funny (laughs) yeah it's funny because i didn't realize it the first time and now i'm like oh yeah hair is head which is the last one is head (laughs) it's it's ridiculous um but yeah like like this um balancoir is like you start to get bits about callus and you start to get more about the history of the world like you know, the god was sealed away by these wizards and guardians and the line, there's a line that the witch says or the old lady says and the story she recites is like, beware the white-winged darkness. But she also says that the god will not be whole again or something like that. Like, even if the five parts are put back together, that's not the whole of the god. So, you know, we're still trying to stop the revival of this ancient god, but it's it's not going to be complete without something what that white-winged darkness is we'll find out next week (laughs) um so yeah um disc one is kind of pretty linear um i think next week we'll be able to be way more broad like there's lots of things i haven't even brought up like there's lots of weird mechanical things like save points and leveling up and the constellations and stuff which oh yeah yeah. i do want to talk about save points we'll do that next week because there's a particular dungeon that is really annoying if you don't save and level up outside of it because you get locked into it and it's a hard boss at the end but yeah definitely um it's got some backwards elements to it but it's all really interesting and it feels like we've been on a bit of a whistle stop tour and i apologize for that um but definitely we should be able to like really branch out and go absolutely ridiculous next episode so yeah i mean i mean what i guess pete before we like sign off on rolling to things like i know you're a bit further ahead um but like what do you think is gonna happen like essentially on disc two or what do you expect to happen maybe uh i i expect uh this game to continue to be awesome (laughs) i really love it um i uh suspect sorry put you on the spot (laughs) Huh? I put you on the spot. Sorry. No, no problem. No, I mean, I knew this was coming, and I've been trying to to think about what I might expect. Um, I can't wait to find out who the uh, great is. It Matuzi or Mizuti? Mizuti. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to figure out who they are. Um, there's even a line early on, and that I want to know what the, what is about, uh, where they say like, "Look, they refer to themselves in the third person too." Yeah. Uh, but in a way that's completely tolerable. And they say, like, okay, uh, I need to tell you something. Or the great Mizuti needs to tell you something. Uh, sometimes the great Mizuti might have to lie to you. Yeah. But you must never lie to the great Mizuti. And I'm like, oh, I want to know what that's about. <laughs> yeah. So I expect and hope to figure out what that is about. Um, right now, I think i might be slightly over leveled i hope that that pace maintains and that i don't get too caught up in any more battles <laughs> uh 
And story-wise, I'm not really comfortable predicting much more because there is a couple things that I know. Yeah. Um, but just the stuff regarding the Great Mizuti is uh, certainly uh, what I'm most intrigued about. Yeah. At the very moment, as well, obviously, as well as like the rest of the plot. You know, I I, I suspect to be uh, completely illuminated about what the rest of the plot is. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good answer, yeah, because say, yeah, you are a little bit ahead of where, you know, you're in, you're into disc two a lot, a lot, quite a bit, so you know more, and it's difficult, because disc two, everything changes, like, so much changes, oh, yeah. so I've been, I've probably given away a few things by accident, or, like, hinted towards them, just ignore all of that, pretend <laughs> that I didn't say anything, and... It's just foreshadowing, that's yeah, all, that's exactly. all you're doing. And the game foreshadows most of it as well, so don't worry, mm-hmm. if, if you're playing it for the first time, you're missing it, don't worry, it, it, it's it's quite clever, um, but yeah, there's some big surprises, um, so yeah, I'm really excited to come back and talk, and just say thank you for both of you for kind of putting up with me hosting because i know again i kind of go through things whistle stop everywhere but yeah next week i honestly feel i mean maybe if someone listens they want to they want to prove me wrong but i I feel like we covered just about everything i could think of and more so yeah i mean like that's i I think we got it yeah we did yeah i think that's the thing like yeah i think the thing like disc one is very linear like it's very Mm. rpg with Mm -hmm. a couple of little drip feeds and then you know, the rest of the game is kind of just opens up a bit more. But yeah, um, thank you both so much for joining me. It's been a really good discussion and I'm really, really, really excited for next week because there is, things get wild. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Like, if you don't know what's going to happen. Out, this is a very good game. So it is as weird, as weird as it is and obtuse as it can be sometimes. And it's like silly in that, you know, it's mm. really good and it's a real hidden gem. Um, but yeah, um, that's next week. So don't worry about that. We're not going to spoil anymore. Um, in terms of the rest of the month. Um, well, we're going into February now, aren't we for retro encounter? Cause this is going up at the end of January. So yes. Uh, so February things are changing up again. Uh, we'll be playing radiant historia, which is one of the best DS RPGs, so I'm told. Someone will tell me off for saying that, but I've never played it before. Uh, it's an Atlas-produced and developed game, and it involves time travel, gorgeous art, and gorgeous music, so more of the and same. a great battle system. Oh, see, Radiant I'm... Historia is a game you got to play if you haven't played it. And I will be playing it, because I have never done that, so I'm really excited to dig into that next month, so that's going to be really good. Um, also in February, we are going to have a spoiler episode on Yakuza Like a Dragon, so like we did with Hades this month, we're going to be spoiling the hell out of uh, the latest ep- uh, latest game in the Yakuza series. Um, so Lucy will be back for that, so don't worry. Um, also, if you're a regular listener to another podcast, I'm sure you can, I'm sure you know who else is going to be on that episode, so uh, please look forward to it. Um <laughs> And then also in February, um, if you're a Final Fantasy XIV fan, there might be some stuff for you to get excited for. Um, we should be getting details for the new expansion on the February the 5th, so that's going to be really cool. But um, also in February to celebrate, Retro is going to start a kind of ongoing series or like a short series uh, where we cover every single expansion because Shadowbringers is nearly two years old or will be two years old in July. So we're going to go through every single expansion that's been released uh, with different panelists on every episode. So February will be A Realm Reborn, which is the very first. And no, we're not doing 1.0. Please don't make us <laughs> talk about 1.0 ever. Like as cool as that end cut scene is, don't make us... Well, I don't think you can play it anymore anyway. Um, But yeah, uh, I'm going to really 
be really excited to listen to that because I haven't played Final Fantasy XIV for four years and I'm really excited to revisit A Realm Reborn and listen to those um, hosts talk about it. So that'd be really good. Um, we do know as well what we're playing in March. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. The only thing I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little hint, is it is a game from a studio who released something last year in 2020. So it's one of their earlier games. Not too early. So please hmm. look forward to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, you've played that game. I have. <laughs> the 2021. Oh. You have, yes. Hmm. So yeah. Um, I know what you're talking about. Are you looking at Trello? <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. We're looking at our giant ideas board. Uh, but yeah, so we've got a lot of good stuff coming up on Retro Encounter, which is great because we had such a good year last year. So I'm really excited to see where the show goes. And But yeah, um, in the meantime, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can email us at retro.rpgfan.com. Send us game suggestions, questions. I don't know, make predictions about March's game if you're listening to this on January, whenever this comes out. Um, it'll be really great to hear from you. We love responding to your emails. Um, or if you want to interact with us in other ways, you can comment on the message boards, which we do still have a pretty quiet though. You can also comment on the site. We have news posts that you can leave comments on under. Or we've got a Facebook page, an Instagram, a Twitter, a Discord, which you can join up. We've got a YouTube channel where we produce and uh, publish reviews. We do like the beginning hours of games. We do long plays eventually. Greg's doing a great job on there as well. Um, so it's a really good thing that we've got rolling over the last couple of years that we hope to keep evolving. So yeah, please subscribe and join all of those. And also... We also have a Twitch channel, which streams every single day, old and new RPGs. Uh, Scott does a fabulous job on there, and Max also helps out um, once a week as well, so that's really great. We've got a really good variety of things going on at all times, including Scott's done speedruns. Like, at the moment, he's working on a speedrun for Chrono Cross, so that'd be really interesting to see how he progresses with that. So, yeah, we've got tons of stuff to check out all the time. We've also got three other fine podcasts. We've got Random Encounter, which is hosted by Greg and Jono, who... I may have suggested about earlier um <laughs> the yakuza person yeah um they talk about random stuff uh, whatever they're playing some current topics and things uh there's rhythm encounter which made a return in 2020 uh talks about rpg and adventure game and visual novel music uh fantastic to see that back and i've had a lot of fun on it this year we again another link we've recently had an episode on yoko shimamura so well that's we haven't recorded it as of this recording but it will be up by the time we are published as an episode so yeah that'll be a really great one to hear and we've also got our partners over at phoenix edge who cover current events and news uh but please subscribe to all of those listen to them because they all do such a fabulous job including us um if you like me as a host as well or <laughs> please rate us and review us on wherever you listen to us spotify apple Podcasts, google play we love feedback please give us feedback as long as it's five stars I... <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um if you want to reach out to us uh, personally you don't have to do it just through the site we've got other ways of uh you can contact us um so pete where's the best place to find you uh so you can contact me uh or reach out to me th uh, with uh, twitter um i am pete barbero one that's a numeral one <laughs> and um i am on uh you know like for about an hour and a half to two hours, maybe two or three times a week, I will play uh, mostly old computer games on Twitch at RG Halfpenny. Uh, right now I'm playing through an old uh, 
it's kind of sort of relevant, although not really. It's a tactical World War II first-person shooter that came out in the mid-2000s called Brothers in Arms, Earned oh. in Blood. And they have a like a tour of duty mode, which is basically just a roguelike. It's like, do five straight missions without dying. <laughs> so, hey, that's is that an RPG? No, it's not an RPG. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, basically uh, those are the two best ways to see what I'm up to. Why did I not know you had a Twitch channel? I'm going to follow you. That's really bad of me. Um, I've heard of Brothers in Arms. I've heard of that. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not an RPG. But it doesn't matter. If you want some variety, go and, go and follow Pete on Twitch. Uh, and yeah. Tyler, where can we find you? Uh, probably best to find me on Twitter at Cosmos Chaos, and that's Cosmos with a K. Um, and sh- shameless plug, I do co-host a, uh, a Zeno-themed podcast called Zeno Chat. And you can what? What? <laughs> Did you not know? No. What? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So you can follow that on Twitter at, at Zeno Chat Podcast. If and one day I would like to, right I would like to do an episode one day where we actually talk about other Marla Soft games. So this this is kind of ex- getting some experience for that. Yeah. Oh, that would be really good. No, it's not a shameless plug. It's always a good plug. Please plug. If you do other things other than RPG fan, I want to hear about them. Xenochat is great. I will watch Pete's streams going forward. Or even, do you, do you archive the VODs at least? Uh, sure. I think I have it set <laughs> to do that. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm like a grandpa <laughs> on Twitch. So don't, don't whatever tech technology. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on learning that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I think I have it to automatically archive. All right. Cool. That's fine. I will have a dig around. Uh, but yeah, um, if you want to reach out to me personally, uh, the best place again, is probably Twitter. I am at Alana Hagues on there. You can find me on, if you're a member of the RPG Fan Discord, if you're not, come and join us. Um, I am Alana on there, or you can email me direct at alanah at rpgfan.com. I don't do Twitch, and I don't run my own podcast. I am wholly unremarkable as a human oh, being no. with technology. Uh, you, no. Nope, 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 stop, stop, stop. Uh, bye, everyone. Alana's amazing. <laughs> bye, thanks for listening. Let me, okay, okay. If I am putting myself down, then it's definitely time to end the episode. Thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>